Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. There are only seven states that currently have mandated AAPI curriculum policies. High school and college students that have gone through public school programs without this focus have a say in what will be taught in schools and how. Today, we'll talk to some of those students. Ira Prakash is a member of University of Connecticut's Curriculum Lab and Farmington High School student. Max Bonadiz is a member of the AAPI Advisory Board at UConn and also a Glastonbury High School student. And Lina Vo, she is an undergraduate student at UConn studying education and also a member of the Curriculum Lab. I want to thank all three to be uh, for being here on the show with us this morning. They'll be helping us to break down a lot of the issues that we'll be talking about. And if you have a question or an experience that you'd like to share, please give us a call at 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Welcome to all three of you today. So I kind of want to start the conversation with uh, Lena, and this will be something that we want all three of you to answer, really. But do you mind if you describe to me, you know, what it's been like growing up as an Asian American in Connecticut? Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, being an Asian American in Connecticut, I would say, is a unique experience, especially Um, I grew up in Meriden, Connecticut, but then later moved to Middlefield in both um, towns, um, did not have a lot of Asian identifying people. And um, so I didn't really grow up with um, my culture or shared experience among my peers um, and anyone that I saw. And especially since my parents immigrated here, um, we didn't have much support. And the best way that I described it was especially um, when trying to battle these two identities of being Vietnamese American. Um, At home, I was Vietnamese, but I was too American. And outside of the home, I was trying to fit in to be American, but then I was too Vietnamese. So these two like um, sides of my identity were just at each other. And I felt like I could never be truly myself until I really um, found my identity when attending UConn and finding Um, more students and also having the staff um, that also identify as Asian. And that was really meaningful to me. So I know a lot of people in the AAPI community, you know, the pandemic has changed so much about how they feel about their identity. Is this something that you experienced too? Or or was your identity something that you thought about prior to the pandemic? It sounds like you did. Yeah, so I would say before the pandemic, It wasn't much on my radar in terms of I couldn't pinpoint like I felt like there was something wrong with me. But um, in reality, it was just that I didn't really have the resource or community um, to really hone in on my own identity. Um, But the pandemic time was the exact same time as I entered 
um, my college experience. And um, that is where I really found my community and my involvement with the Asian Asian American um, Cultural Center on campus. And so having that support throughout the pandemic and um, in particular, like media coverage, um, there was a lot of negativity and there was also a lot of stereotypes and um, I guess my experience like throughout the pandemic, I've never um, personally been experienced like negative negative actions like directly, but it was um, hard to see, especially since a lot of those targeted attacks were towards the um, older generation, including like um, what I would view as like my parents and my grandparents age. Well, I think what you said resonated and resonates with a lot of the API community. I want to bring uh, Era in. You know, Era, can you also describe to me what it's been like for you growing up as an Asian American here in Connecticut? Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having me as well. I agree with a lot of what Lynette said. I think that there's a dichotomy in terms of there's one world where you're at home, you have, you know, your Asian friends, you you do Asian things with your family, you eat Asian food, you celebrate holidays. And then you're in a different world when you're in public, when you're at school, where you feel like that's not the part of your identity that you want to make known. That's not the part of your identity that you want to resonate with other people. Um, and so until I got to high school, for sure, it was very like one world of being Asian at home and then one world of not being Asian outside of home. Um, but then once I got to high school, I'm really lucky to have a community here. And Farmington High School has a really good social justice community. And I was able to sort of find my identity and work through it like that. It sounds like both of you have thought about this a lot before the pandemic. When I mentioned earlier, I think the pandemic is really a, a time where a lot of people sort of rethought or reflected or it's even a brand new conversation, really. So I want to ask you, you know, what was your COVID experience like, Yara? Yeah, I was in middle school when COVID happened. And I think middle school is notorious for being a place where everyone just wants to fit in, right? So I would often do things that I'm not proud of now that sort of catered towards what I thought would make me fit in, what I thought would make people like me more. And then when the pandemic stopped and I was just at home, I had the ability to sort of reconnect with what I love about being Indian, what I love about my culture as well. So um, I realized that I was sort of pushing myself away from my culture to fit in. And especially when the Black Lives Matter movement happened and I really started to get interested in advocacy as a whole, I realized that something I want to do is really connect with my culture and make sure that other people don't have to feel the same way that I did. And Max, I want to bring you in for this, too. You know, can you describe to me what it was like for you to grow up as an Asian American here in Connecticut? Uh, yeah, of course. Thank you for uh, having me. Um, I feel like in a way, because uh, like Lena, I'm also Vietnamese, but um, I would consider myself a darker shade of a Vietnamese person. So I feel like even then, because I grew up in Glastonbury, went to Glastonbury schools, and even then, they're um f with the Asian people that were there, they didn't even accept me for who I was, nor did the other people within the school. And I felt very uh, isolated between everybody, between my co own culture, my own other fellow Asian Americans and just everyone. So and we're definitely going to be going in more in depth with that later. But I want to ask, too, you know, was your identity something that you thought about prior to the pandemic or did the pandemic change anything for you? Um, With the pandemic, I guess, it, if anything, it brought more things to light and made me realize, oh, 
if I want things to change, I'm going to have to start contributing to the change. So, um, but other than that, I didn't really get any of uh, the hate most Asians American um, had when the pandemic started because um, I guess people were just confused of my own identity. So they couldn't really pin hate the hate on me. Well, I think all three of your experiences sort of inform a lot of your next steps. And I kind of want to come back to Ira and uh, talk to talk to us about the advocacy work that you do and how you got involved with it. Yeah. So like I said, the pandemic happened and I realized that I wanted to get involved in advocacy and that was something I was really passionate about. So our school has an Asian American student union. So I joined that my sophomore year and now I'm on the board. So I'm the social media manager and treasurer. It's a little complicated. But um, then through that, I was able to meet Dr. Chang at the University of Connecticut and he connected me to the advisory board and then to the curriculum lab. And through that, I've really been able to act access like forms of advocacy I wouldn't have been able to otherwise connect with people like Lina, connect with people across Connecticut to hear other perspectives and understand different stories. And then through that, we work to build the pilot curriculum for the API mandated curriculum, which is super cool. And it's very interesting to work with younger students and see what their perspectives are and just kind of work to make sure that they don't, like I said before, go through the same experiences I did with not appreciating my culture. And just so you know that uh, Dr. Jason Chang is a professor and director of the Asian Amer- Asian and Asian American Studies Institute at UConn. And so, Ira, what what has it been like um, working at the center, and how does that make you feel as an advocate? It's been really cool, um, just seeing everything that it has to offer, seeing how, like the understanding the core of like how a curriculum is built how do you connect the concepts of identity to a five-year-old versus like a 10-year-old versus a 16-year-old and what does that look like in different facets what parts do we want to analyze the most and even if a student isn't asian american how do we want them to still connect with the message that we're trying to send all of those things are questions that we work really hard on and are just super interesting to be able to analyze further with such an amazing team and you know during this process Do you feel like you have a support system and, you know, does does your family play a role in that sort of identity crisis or that identity conversation that you've had and are still having? Yeah, for sure. I think that my parents are immigrants and so their experience in America has been completely different. But growing up and talking to them about like, this is how I feel. This is what being Asian is like to me. Um. I think that they've helped with me staying connected with my culture. You know, they taught me I speak Hindi at home and they taught me that when I was younger, we celebrate the holidays. They've made sure that I stay connected with that. And that was really important to me during the pandemic when I was then able to really connect back to those parts of myself since I already had them. I think it would have been much harder if I didn't speak the language, if I didn't really know the cultures and customs of where I come from, because it would would have been harder to understand who I really am in that like Asian sense. Um, And also just at my school, we have, like I mentioned, our Asian American Student Union. We have a ton of student unions. So we have a social justice council and group. And really investing myself in that, I found a community of amazing people who have helped me just 
like focus on the advocacy part because it can get tiring and you can feel burnt out when you just keep going and you don't really feel like you're seeing a change. And so having people there who support you and who are going through the same thing is really important to understand that it's okay to take a step back. It's okay to, you know, not always be this big advocate. And if other people are going through that, it normalizes it for you too. Well, I really love what you just shared because I really resonate with that. I credit my parents for keeping me um, in line with my own culture. I'm Taiwanese-American myself. We spoke Mandarin Chinese and Taiwanese at home and English. So you can hear that's pretty complicated in this family sometimes when we're talking. And so, you know, speaking of, of parents and adults, you know, I want to ask you, what are what are some things that you feel like adults, adult advocates look over when it comes to AAPI work? Yeah, I think that Something that's been so normalized in just education from the K through 12 level is this normalization of the model minority myth. Um, just the expectation that Asian students are going to be a certain way, act a certain way, think a certain way is really key. And I think that it's so ingrained in people's subconscious that they don't even realize when they do something like, you know, place an Asian student next to a kid who's struggling and say, oh, you'll definitely help them out or just kind of assume that they need less resources or less extra help because of the way that they look. Um, I know that personally, I'm a very I'm a very talkative person. Um, and that's something that I think shocks a lot of teachers, especially um, when they see someone who, you know, is academically driven and is Asian. They kind of assume I'm going to be that shy, like good goody two shoes type of student who's just going to kind of sit in class and they can use as maybe a buffer with other students. Um, but then it, it shocks them when I'm not like that. And it shocks them when I have interests outside of just like academics and stuff. And so really focusing on dismantling the ingrained model minority myth within the education system, I think is key to making sure that Asian American students get the resources and opportunities and access that they need without feeling isolated or without feeling like they're not a like, quote, good Asian. So we got about one more minute left here. But I do want to ask you, you know, will you be celebrating AAPI Heritage Month in May? Yes, for sure. And I'm very excited. There are a couple of ways that I'm doing it. Um, first, with our Asian American Student Union, we're putting on a bunch of stuff in our school. I also work with another group outside of all of this called Hear Story. We're working on putting some displays in our public libraries. So overall, I'm very excited to sort of share my passion and my love for AAPI culture with my community. Thank you so much for that. Uh, you've been listening to Ira Pakosh, who is a member of both the University of Connecticut's Curriculum Lab and the AAPI Advisory Group. We'll be continuing this conversation by going more in-depth with Max, who will be talking about how it's been like working with UConn as a high school student. You can also join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. 
So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. We've been talking about the AAPI youth experience here in Connecticut, more specifically, what it's like going to school here. And to help us understand the nuances of living that life is Max Bonadies. He's a Glastonbury High School student and a member of the AAPI Advisory Board at UConn. Thanks so much for sticking around, Max. Hi. Uh, like I said before, thank you for having me. And I want to ask you, Max, you know, how did you get involved with the work at UConn? Um, I guess all, like when it got serious was in middle school um because my mom's friend she was very active and she kind of got me into that and then you know one thing led to another and then I guess I was on the board um you know I have lots of connections with uh people like Mike Keogh and all so that's another big contributor and factor of how I got so involved and Mike Keo started the hashtag I am not a virus and is a huge advocate here in Connecticut. What has it been like in terms of your own self-discovery, especially with what you shared earlier, too? Yeah, um, well, growing up in Glassmore, like I said, and being of Vietnamese descent, I never really got that model minority stereotype. And that really what is confused me because I got the uh, you're a thug or you're this or that. And it confused me because all my life, people around me have been saying, oh, Asians are this and Asians are that. But when I go into the school, I don't get any of those. And then throughout my school career, I guess, that really what confused me is like, well, why is one people people over here saying I should act like this and be like this and be like that Asian, but people when I go to school say stuff completely different. I was kind of trapped between two worlds. And was that something that you were able to chat with someone or find sort of resonating common ground with other people? Or is that something that you did not discover until much later? Honestly, I did not discover until probably like last year, like confidently, like find my people and find my group. You know, I have a friend, he is Cambodian, Puerto Rican. And, uh, you know, we kind of bonded over the fact that there's not a lot of like Southeast Asians within the Glassmore school system. And it's like the ones that are either have to confine to the stereotype or, you know, get ridiculed. And it was just nice to bond with someone like that. And I think with what Lena mentioned earlier, she had mentioned she's also a fellow Vietnamese American. But on the one hand, she's too Vietnamese for some people. On the other hand, she's not American for other people. Is that something that you resonate with? Oh, yes, of course. Um, with other Vietnamese people, uh, my parents... Is just like, oh, you don't act uh, Vietnamese or like, you don't do this like a Vietnamese person does. But on the other hand, it's just like, why should I? Like, I'm me and you're you, you know? And, you know, with that sentiment, 
Is there a kind of legacy that you hope to leave for those who will come after you, especially the experience that you've had? And of course, with the growth that you are still experiencing as we're talking today? Yeah, I just hope that um, people with similar experiences could just recognize who they are and love themselves for who they are sooner than I did. And can you talk to us about how that experience informed what you want to do with UConn? Like, walk us through what is it like working as an advocate with a university when you're still in high school? Because that's a pretty yeah. amazing feat. I cannot imagine myself as a <laughs> high school student doing that. So kudos to you, Max. Um. Yeah, so I guess it really, like I said, started in middle school. And that's the time I was just like, I got to get off and like start doing more work so I can... um advocate not only for myself but everyone else in my situation that's kind of when I got more interested in more serious stuff you know with UConn and then I guess there was like a break where I was so busy with school and sports and my own like personal life where I kind of forgot about it but towards the end of COVID I was just like okay now I have to start getting back on my grind to start helping out and start doing the things I set out to do to begin with and that could be from like going to like New Year celebrations. Like I just went to Cambodia New Year with my friends, and uh, you know, we had speeches and stuff, and that was good unity to just uh, posting like some activism stuff on my Instagram. I run or I used to run the Asians in Glastonbury Instagram account, talk about the racism that happens in Glastonbury schools towards Asians. But yeah, it could be from anything from online to in person to helping out to anything, really. And how has that experience been like for you? You know, were, were there did you ever think you were going to be an activist? And were there experiences that surprised you during this whole process? Yeah, um, I always thought myself as like a person who speaks their mind for the better or worse, I guess. So but I didn't know about like because like I said, growing up, I always thought, oh, you're Asian, that's a good stereotype or something. So I never thought someone like me could have all this like hate directed towards them. So when I got that hate was more prevalent in my life, I was just like, what do I do with it? Because I don't want to turn back and hate them back. So what I did is, I guess, like you said, is just get more involved with helping and educating and do you think advocacy work is something that's shaping your future plans? Is that something that you want to continue to explore beyond high school, going into college, and maybe even beyond? Yeah, that's something um, I was thinking about recently, actually. Um, I wouldn't say I would want it to be my whole life, because like I said, I would love to have my own personal life, my own personal goals. Not saying this isn't my personal goal, but I would always like to keep advocating in my life and keep helping people in my life so yeah i want to do this you know throughout high school throughout college and even throughout after college um and if i could just jump in here real quick sure go for it i think what max is saying about making sure that it's not a like taking up your whole life is super important because then that sort of leads to the burnout, right? That leads to you not wanting to continue it. And so I think it's really important what he's saying about making sure that you have your own separate life and goals beyond just this advocacy and keeping it as a part that is passionate and that's important to you, but having that healthy balance. 
Well, I love that you you added that era. Thank you so much for that because I feel I wanted to ask too. I feel when we talk about advocacy, I think oftentimes we think about pain and resistance immediately because there's a reason why you're advocating. But what about joy? You know, I want to ask both of you. Let's start with Max first. Um, does it bring you joy and happiness or whatnots when you are having these conversations and realizing that you are talking with people who may feel the same way as you do? Yeah, it brings me like a sense of pride too because like. Not only that, you get to talk about your ideas and opinions with other people who might have the same ideas and opinions, but even when you're not talking to those people, maybe they have different opinions. You can walk away knowing you left something with them to think about, and that's what really like. That's really what the whole goal of what I do is just to people with the different opinions. Is I don't want everyone. I don't want to force my opinions on anyone, but I want just to leave. Them with something to think about. So, and Ira, what do you think about that? Ira, are you with us? Sorry, no, no worries. Yes, Go for it. Um, I completely agree. I think when you're doing something like giving a presentation and you see people listening to you, nodding, understanding, that's where it comes from. That's where the something that I'm doing is having an impact. That feeling comes from, and that is the reward for doing this type of advocacy work. And that's what kind of keeps you going through the the pain and the hard parts of it. Well, I love that you mentioned a nodding because I want to just let you know, let everyone know that I've been nodding my head off. So I think after this, I'm going to need to get a neck massage because I'm resonating with so many things that all of you are sharing. So thank you so much for that. And I do want to um, ask Max too, you know, we're talking about advocacy and we just went through how it does bring you pride and joy. So what do you what do you dream about? You know, is it hard to dream and, and think about the future when you are so ingrained with this complexity of emotions all the time? Yeah, I, uh, first, um, I was just like, I feel like my goals and my dreams were um, influenced by what others had to say especially like regarding my race and my color. But as I got older and as I got more vocal and confident about this type of stuff, I've got gotten to learn like, it doesn't matter what other people think because as long as you wanna do what you wanna do while you're making a change, because I don't wanna be selfish and say, I only want my goal, this is all about me. I wanna, in the process, by reaching my goals, I want to also help others on the way. We've been talking to Glastonbury High School student Max Bonadies about his experience growing up as an Asian American here in Connecticut and also his current advocacy work. Thank you, Max, for sharing that with us, and he will still be staying with us as well. Coming up next, we'll be speaking with Lena Vo. She's an undergraduate student at UConn studying education and also a member of its curriculum lab. She'll be sharing what the lab's been up to and her thoughts on how the AAPI curriculum is being created. Feel free to join the conversation. 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Coming up on tomorrow's show, climate change is presenting many challenges in our region, but residents around New England are rising to the occasion. We'll hear from reporters from the New England News Collaborative on new solutions to mitigating climate change. And now returning to our conversation about the AAPI youth experience here in Connecticut, I have Lina Vo. She's an undergraduate student at UConn studying education, and she's also a member of the Curriculum Lab. Lina, thanks so much for sticking with us today. Hi, Kat. Thank you for having us again. And so just want to start the conversation by asking, you know, how did you get involved with the Curriculum Lab and what do you do? Yeah, with the Curriculum Lab, um, about a year ago, I applied to a scholarship and I ended up becoming a first Sane scholar. Um, and I was um, one of the first people to get the scholarship. And the scholarship is intended for um, UConn students who have demonstrated interest in um, careers in serving like the public school system. Um, and so with that scholarship, I became a Versailles scholar. And with that, it was linked to the curriculum lab. Um, and um, with the curriculum lab, like we're dedicated to building resources, lessons, and also building professional de- development for um, school systems around Connecticut um, that are inclusive and accurate. Um, and that also helps teachers, staff um, have this confidence and competence in teaching um, API studies. So you're an education student and obviously so ingrained in that space and you have ambitions to become a teacher yourself. So how did you react when Governor uh, Len Lamont passed the AAPI curriculum mandate last year? Yeah, um, that was amazing. I think um, just as a student myself, like reflecting on my own K-12 experience, I've never seen myself represented in the physical space. I've never seen myself um, fitting in like I shared earlier, but I think a huge part of it was never seeing myself represented within curriculum. And I think that plays a huge role in having one's own like educational experience be meaningful and intentional. And um, yeah, I think that was a huge breaking um, like milestone for us um, within the community. And as especially as a future educator, like thinking about my own classroom in the future, how I want to be a culturally responsive educator and how I want to incorporate like global perspectives. Um, I think this is huge. And I was going to ask too, you know, with your experience right now, you know, having all of these really cool conversations about curriculum, you know, never thought you were going to say cool and curriculum in the same sentence. Um, how, How has that been like in terms of intentionality, especially since, you know, you have passions of wanting to become an educator yourself? Have you thought about what you would like to do and what you would like to bring into the classroom? Oh, yes. Um, with all these conversations, I've met so many amazing people from um, Ira and Max and um, just even professionals like Dr. Jason Chang. Um, I think I take everything and every opportunity as a new learning experience. And especially with my involvement within this curriculum development, um, it's all it's so different to be handed a curriculum within the classroom and being expected to teach it, but to have a role in um, making these meaningful experiences for students. Um, It's been a completely new learning experience for me, and I think will only benefit me as a future educator in in incorporating like my students' um, identities within my own classroom. 
Well, I'm very looking forward to how the experience you'll be giving for the future generations. I certainly did not see anyone who looked like me growing up in the K through 12 space either. So kudos to you. And I want to ask too, you know, how do people usually respond when you tell them your future career goals? What, what do you think goes through their minds? Yeah. So, um, growing up, like I said, I never, um, when reflecting on my K through 12 experience, I've had, um, two, I think teachers or staff of color within my schools and, um, they weren't Asian identifying, but they were still people of color. Um, so that, that was something that I still like bonded with them about, um, on our experiences as being minorities. But at the same time, um, I feel like, my love of learning still aligned with the values that my parents instilled, like educational values that my parents instilled. Um, but the teaching path was never viewed as successful, um, especially growing up. I feel like I experienced invisible career expectations where um, successful careers always lied in like the STEM field. Um, and so pursuing anything else was really questioned, like, why? Why not blank? Um, so... I really never saw myself as a leader in education, would say, because um, how could I see myself in a field um, that I didn't see myself represented in? Um, so I think that's something that I still kind of battle with, but um, I'm working through it, and especially with the support that I've built um, with the curriculum lab and with the work that I'm doing to further education and um, the work that we do. Um, I think this whole learning experience, I've just loved it. And I think um, my career has definitely been untraditional and something that I'm a little worried about um, navigating, um, especially as an Asian American within a field that um, does not have a lot of Asian identifying people within. Well, on, on that note, I am glad that you do have what sounds like an excellent support system. So I'm sure um, it will be challenging, but you are going to be amazing at it. And I love that you mentioned earlier, too, that college seems to be the turning point for you. And as you've been sharing that, this is when you're having these really uh, positive experiences. You know, what was it about college that you think helped it all kind of connected and clicked for you? Yeah, Um like I said, like I grew up not seeing myself, but then when I, um, when I went to UConn, I really got involved with the Asian American Culture Center and all the orgs that um, they run through that. And in particular, I joined the um, Asian Asian American Mentoring Program in which I, um, I saw all Asian identifying students and we all kind of had these discussions about our own identities. And we really, um, it was it was relieving to be in a space where you felt like you didn't have to explain every detail of yourself, which I feel like um, I've up to that point I've had to do, whether that be a, um, at school or outside school, um, even at home. But um, sharing this Asian American identity with other students was really meaningful. And um, and just like I said, like not having to explain yourself. Um, 
Well, and also because you are in such a different space now compared to, let's say, you know, a couple of years ago when you haven't gone into college yet. I want to ask you to, uh, Ira mentioned this earlier in terms of mental health. Uh, based on a national survey, AAPIs have the lowest rate of getting mental health support of any racial group with only 23.3% of AAPI adults with a mental illness receiving treatment in 2019. That's a very low number, and I know it's been a couple of years, so assuming the numbers probably have not changed or maybe even have risen. Do you feel like mental health resources for those in your community has been adequate? And if not, you know, what do you think uh, people can do? Yeah, I think um, in terms of mental health, there's a negative stigma, and especially within our Asian community, um, it's it's looked at it's la- it's looked down upon to gain help. Um, and I think a lot of people kind of um, take that and is like, if if I need to reach out to someone that and I can't figure it out on my own, then I'm a failure. And that's not true. Um, we all need our community, our support. Um, and in particular with mental health, I feel like um, I'm supported in a way since I do have access to the resources at UConn. Um, but in addition to the mental health space, like I feel like um, I feel like also a lot of people, like I mentioned before, the invisible um, career expectations. I feel like a lot of um, Asian identified people don't enter that space as well. So it could be hard to kind of foster these natural connections and um conversations um, when you feel like you have to explain yourself, especially if it's someone that's trying to help support you, but they don't actually um, realize like the the experiences that you're you're going through. So I think something that can um, really help is kind of having more um, people of color within um, the space um, and also encouraging us to take up the space and the resources that we have around us. And Ira, I would love to hear what you think about this, because you did mention mental health and mental health support earlier. You know, what are your thoughts in terms of the way AAPI have to navigate their their, you know, their cultural differences while not having the support to have those conversations? For sure. Um, I think what Lena said about having to explain yourself applies really well here because it's like when you feel a certain way, like when you think you might be anxious or when you think you might have like depression or something like that, you feel like you have to explain yourself and find a reason as to why that exists or why you're feeling this way. Um, I'm sorry. And part of that comes, I think, from having being first generation immigrants. Our parents come from backgrounds that are that stigmatize mental health immensely. And so they don't really understand why you're feeling this way, how you could be feeling this way. And so when you're when you feel burnt out, when you feel like you're going through something, you have to explain why. And that can be difficult and that can take away from your ability to feel like you deserve help or that you should access help because it's like, oh, if I can explain it, if I know why I'm feeling this way, then I can just fix it. Then I don't need to actually access the steps that will make me better. And so that sort of puts a barrier in terms of accessing help and accessing that further step. And Max, you know, you mentioned earlier, too, when you were sharing your story that you tend to be the only, you know, quote, Asian in the classroom. And so, you know, us here talking about mental health support, how the staff is not as diverse and you have to explain yourself. Is this something that you resonate with or is it it a part of your advocacy work that you would like to explore in the future? Yeah, um, I totally agree with what all y'all have been saying in the matter of that fact. 
And uh, like you said, sometimes I would look around, it's just like, I'm the only minority or I'm the only Asian. And in the mental standpoint, it's kind of makes you feel like, are you supposed to be here? And that could be detrimental to your mental health. And with a couple minutes left, I want to give all three of you some space to talk about any final thoughts that you would like to share that we didn't get to get to this hour. I'm very aware that everything we talked about today, we can talk for days. I want to start with Lina. Yeah, I just want to take up the space to also um, like celebrate Euromax and I and being on this show. Like this is this is huge, and I'm so proud of us and. Um, I'm so thankful to be working with both of you and also having this opportunity to speak on our own experience. So thank you again. No, absolutely. And and on that note, actually, because we spoke with Ira earlier talking about May being AAPI Heritage Month, are there events that uh, either you or Max are excited to do? I'm going to start with Lina. Yeah, so in particular, going back to the curriculum lab, um, we're actually partnering with Breakthrough Breakthrough Magnet School in Hartford, and um, we'll be developing curriculum for K through A. Um, the those are the grades that we'll be focusing on, and I'm so excited for that. In addition to um, the events that are going on at UConn, there's so many um, cultural events. Um, and actually, this Wednesday, we actually have Stephen Lim coming to our campus, which is so exciting. So um, I'm just so excited to be celebrating and also um, bringing more awareness to API Heritage Month. Well, then I want to well, say we want to say that we are so excited to hear your excitement. And it's our privilege that all three of you are so willing to be on the show today. And I want to extend the same question to Max. You know, is there anything exciting that you're looking forward to for API Heritage Month in May? Um, I said just the whole month in general, because... Before, until recently, I didn't know even know we had a month. So that's amazing. I love yeah. it. <laughs> and Ira, we've got about a minute left, but anything you'd like to share with us? Same thing as Lena. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I know that these are things that I keep thinking about and I, I want to have a platform to share them. So thank you so much for giving us a space to talk about stuff that, you know, impacts our everyday life that we really want people to hear and resonate with. Well, and I'm so glad that all three of you are so willing to share your stories and be vulnerable with us. I know that's very difficult. So uh, hopefully you guys had a good experience. I certainly have. And just want to take another moment to thank all three of you. You've been listening to UConn student Lena Vo talking to us about her ambitions to become a teacher and to achieve comprehensive Asian American history education and representation in schools. You've also heard from Ira Prakash, who is a member of the University of Connecticut's Curriculum Lab and advisory board and Farmington High School. And Max Bonadiz, he's also a member of the AAPI advisory board at UConn and a Glastonbury High School student. Thank you all again for joining us today to talk about identity. I'm Catherine Shen. Today's show was produced by Anya Gradalski. Our technical producer is Dylan Reyes. Download Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app. And thank you so much for listening. 